0: It is the Palpably Unfair Podcast, episode ten. Brought to you by the fine folk at the SB Nation NFL show. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Joining me, as always, our friend Kyle Posey. And Kyle, I'm going to need you to smile when you're with the two-time SB Nation podcasting champion. How you doing, brother? I'm great. As I
1: had almost forgotten. It's been a, at least 12 minutes since you reminded me.
0: So right up top, I'm once again asking you, gentle listener, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. If you like what we're doing here throw in some kind words if you're so inclined and if you don't let me warn you we will come to your house and leave a really kind handwritten christmas card in your mailbox it's that serious all right let's jump in kyle let's go to our top three quarterback performances of the week like we do every week on the flip side of the break we'll get into your defensive mvps from the week but starting with the quarterbacks number one Aaron Rodgers. He is back, and he is in full command of this offense. I was right to say relax a few weeks ago. This is now three weeks straight of snowballing to a rebound that's seen him get better and better after the Bucks stole his sandwich in week six. I chose not to overreact to that. I said relax. Yes, there's the L to the Vikings in the middle of that, but Rodgers does not play defensive tackle. He's not a run stuffer. He's a quarterback, and he's a damn good one. And yet again, like the 49ers find themselves on the wrong end of these lists. And I'm not trying to harp on this one too much because I'm really not trying to troll Kyle like this. And this was on Thursday night last week. So it's ancient history in like the football news cycle world. But quickly, 25 for 31, 305, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He was a man on fire. And, And look how the schedule for the Packers over the next four weeks will unfold. It's Jaguars at home, Colts on the road. That's a tough one, possibly, depending on which Phillip Rivers shows up. The Bears at home, the worst 5-3 and three team in the league, which has Bears Twitter genuinely missing Mitch Trubisky, which is just wild to me. And then it's the Philadelphia Eagles at home, uh, the team I cover. Not very good. So at 6-2, and two, they are first in the NFC North. And with the way that things are set up... Oh, wait, wait. Hold on, John King. We have an official projection. SB Nation is projecting that the Green Bay Packers will carry the NFC North to the playoffs. Let's go to Kyle Posey for his thoughts on the matter, Kyle.
1: Yeah, let's call it. We are the news desk, and there is no reason to wait for it. The Bears are on a free-for-all. They started 5-1. and one. They look like they were 1-5. Because they were winning, people were ignoring the fact that their record was what their record was. So, yeah, the Vikings are starting to play better, but they still have Kirk Cousins under center. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers right now, man. Just last week, 0.69 EPA per play. He was successful on 60% of his passes. Uh, Both of those were top five in the league for the week. His CPOE, 16.1. I'm not sure that he threw an incompletion. Yeah, he's just hitting on all cylinders, man. His touch, his accuracy is just unreal. And, And he's just playing on time. It's really fun to watch. When Rodgers plays at his peak, and that's what he's doing right now.
0: You mentioned, you know, Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings. They did just beat the Packers, but it's hard to trust them when they're obviously being carried by the run game. How sustainable is that? Well, when you get down in a game, you're going to need your quarterback to show up. Dalvin Cook, though, is just so doggone impressive. If you go to PFF's yards after contact average, he is at 4.18 average. That's more than a half yard than anybody else in the NFL. It's more than a half yard than Derrick Henry. It's a full yard more than like Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Melvin Gordon and James Robinson, you know, Daryl Henderson, all these guys that have balled out at the running back position. He is doing special, special things. I don't know if you saw the clip of it but there was one where he took a toss and just darted inside with just crazy quickness and they showed Adrian Peterson on the sideline watching the clip and he was blown away by the dude uh he's playing like the best running back in the NFL right now so I want to give him his due, but I I think you're right and I think I'm right I think this division is pretty much sewed up and it's all over but the singing for the Packers in the NFC North. So we can we can move on from that. I don't want to harp on that performance too much. Like I said, I'm not trying to troll or anything like that. Let's go to the number two performance of the week. Uh, We talked about this game on Monday, Football Monday, but I really don't think we, we broke this game down from a Josh Allen perspective in the manner that it deserves. Big time game against the top NFC team to this point. And Allen and offensive coordinator Brian Dable really put up a gem. Uh, on the day, Allen was 31 for 38, 415 yards. That's 10.9 yards per attempt. Three touchdowns, no picks. Now he did take seven sacks and I've been critical of the Seahawks pass rush. And here's the thing, I still am. But like when the pass rush was there, the Seahawks didn't have the horses to man cover, which they tried to do at an alarming rate considering the matchups. And when the coverage was there initially, there was no pass rush. It was poor complimentary football on the defensive side of the ball to the different levels of the field. And they got carved up for it. And to illustrate that point under pressure, Allen had a passer rating of 141.7. So if they weren't getting there, they were getting toasted. The second touchdown to go up 14 nothing. That was a great one. First and goal from the one heavy run action with a boot to his left. So his, you know, off ball hand. Uh, they want to leak this tight end to the flat, but he's got a guy closing. Allen holsters it, calmly flips his hips. Now he's aligned right to throw to Tyler Croft, who is coming across the middle from the backside, throws a fastball for six. That's processing, that's accuracy, that's arm strength, that's all the traits that you want to see from Allen. I think overall, like this season, Allen is still a little slow with his first reads, but he's so good when he gets out of them and gets to reads two and three, and he can also create with his legs. And that masks a lot of those issues with his first read. And just speaking about that last part, Kyle, I wanted to talk with you about this because I talked with it on the QB Factory with Mark Schofield, uh, which is on the Bleeding Green Nation feed. You may have heard uh Mark on the recent oddcast with Rob Carrera and Brandon Lee Gowton. But you look at these young quarterbacks and – you can hone in on guys like Allen. You can go to a more recent class with Kyler Murray. You can go to the most recent class with guys like Burrow, Herbert, Tua, and so on. You don't have to be an uber athlete like God knows Burrow isn't. And tell me whether you agree with this, Kyle, but if you gave all, all of them like the same level of base traits like accuracy, arm strength, mental processing, the ability to create is a must-have to distinguish those quarterbacks, and it's a must-have to be successful in the NFL. And if you can't create in like the bombastic manner that you think of, your pocket management then has to be incredible. It has to be like Brady. It has to be like Breeze. It can't be like Carson Wentz. It can't be like Daniel Jones, because otherwise you've got no shot, right? Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: being able to create out of structure outside of the pocket when the play breaks down because you, let's say you have 10 plays in a game there are going to be three or four when you're going to have to do something on your own and you mentioned you know, we're just mentioning quarterbacks that we see all, every week so Jimmy Garoppolo like that's not something that they excel in at all whereas Josh Allen he almost welcomes it like he wants to play outside of structure he wants to run around uh, scramble back there for a few seconds and be able to throw the ball and find somebody. And he actually does very well when doing that. So um, I think guys that aren't really flustered by the pressure, they tend to bode well. And we're seeing that from Josh Allen this
0: year, the the better side of him anyway. A good example of that. We talked about this. I think we've talked about this a couple times, actually. Jared Goff, you know, not real mobile, but also like in the pocket. Is super sensitive to pressure, and then his pocket management kind of breaks down, and he's not able to create there. He falls off of his throws when there are guys in his face. Like that's just not these. He has to be absolutely clean, and that's why he's just not a top tier quarterback right now because he doesn't have that ability to create. He doesn't have the pocket management uh, to open up those throwing windows for himself. And and speaking of one of one of those guys that is just absolutely fantastic as a pocket manager, my number three quarterback performance of the week. Uh, with some qualifiers, is Drew Brees, and look, did I keep Drew Brees off this list last week for having the lowest air yard average of the week? Yeah, absolutely. Was he bottom five this week in intended air yards? Yes, but (laughs) this is a dictatorship, and on a completely arbitrary whim, I have decided not to snub him again Uh, if you have a problem with that, Please forward your complaint to the International Gibberish Desk. And and really, the guy was top five in completion percentage over expectation. That CPOE that you cited, he was top five in that this week. So people are just going to have to deal with it. And and look, you're not going to judge Grandpa at the senior home when he wins a fight against another old dude. And this one with Tom Brady, it wasn't close beyond the opening bell. 38-3 to was your final in part because Breeze missed on six passes on the night. That's it. Over an 80% completion percentage for 222 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Super clean. And on the flip side of this, I need the Tampa Bay Bucs to come on down because you are the next contestant on do you have a quarterback. Uh, Look, Matt Stafford could have made it here, but he had a super weird lead up during the week. So I'll take it easy on the guy. Nick Mullins is an easy target too easy in fact and again I'm not just here to troll Kyle so let's go with Tom Brady in this one and look it's not even like the picks that bothered me because he had three of them one was a tip on a screen whatever another was a late game fourth and seven where he had to put up a prayer that he would never thrown in any other situation so that's fine Um, I didn't like the one to Antonio Brown though and I, I get there was a miscommunication there Brown thinks he's supposed to sit down on a vertical route. Brady thinks he's continuing upfield. That'll get sorted out, that that small situation. But he had open throws available to him. And that wasn't the only time that he passed up those open looks to throw to Brown. Brown should not be getting equal looks to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin this early. And he's frankly stealing snaps. And, and so far, it's looked bad for them as a whole. Not only on the field, but in terms of their decision-making to bring him in uh, from a PR standpoint. And more gripes from this one. I hated the route distribution of Evans. They need to get him more involved in the intermediate areas. There's no pre-snap motion. This is a static offense that's unforgivable in 2020. They weren't explosive at all, despite the Saints giving up the most 30-plus air yard passes this season. And going back to the A-B thing, ultimately they figure it out or Brown burns out. My money, honestly, is on the latter, and the Bucs may just be better off without him. Kyle, does that sentiment jive with you, or do you think I'm a little bit crazy for it?
1: No, like... Based on everything we've seen from this offense prior to this last game against the Saints, and sure, divisional opponent, and they probably know what Tampa Bay likes to do, so that probably factors in a bit, but it just seemed like Tom Brady was going out of his way to make Antonio Brown a thing. And by doing that, he ignored two really, really, really good passing targets in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Like they were on a roll before this week. It seemed like anyway, like I felt like Tampa Bay was one of the, the better offenses in the NFL. And with Antonio Brown coming in, you know, we didn't get to see the Evans dig rouse, that intermediate part of the field, like you mentioned, or just Godwin. Like Godwin is a very talented wide receiver. And then they, they had something rolling with Scotty Miller, too. But now Antonio Brown's in the fold. And it almost seemed as if Tom Brady wanted to prove that he was right and made Antonio Brown a thing and ignored everything else that got them here. And that was, that's why, that's what I had the biggest problem with. So yeah, I agree. I it, It's in the middle of the season as well. Like it's not just going to yeah. be, you know, sunshine and rainbows when you bring in a brand new receiver. So uh, just, just odd timing all around. And it, I just don't know what the positive takeaway from, you know, having Antonio Brown here would be.
0: I was at the, sh- the shrine game practices, you know, those college all-star games. So that, that was down in St. Pete. So I went there, I met up with like the Draft Network guys and all that. And at one point during the week, I was going through, you know, one of the tunnels to to leave. And I walked past a very animated conversation between Las Vegas Raiders GM Mike Mayock and Brown's former agent, Drew Rosenhaus, who I believe Rosenhaus was either fired later that day or would be fired on the next day by Brown. Uh, It was right in that time frame. And Kyle, let me tell you, three months of time... Did not heal that wound because Mayock was giving Rosenhaus the business Gosh. about AB. He was fired up. And and look, the, the feeling I've gotten from from people is that outside of football, AB surrounds himself with a posse full of people that won't tell him no. Or tell him what he's doing is a bad idea. Yes, man, all around him. And I think that's where the rubber is going to meet the road for the Bucks eventually. It's when you try to tell A.B. no. Or don't give him exactly what he wants. And maybe you'll see same old, same old A.B., or maybe he can look past himself and see what's good for the team in that situation. But that situation is going to come up and we're going to see what's up. And look, I, I can't tell you how that's going to go. I don't know what's in that man's heart right now. I'm not going pre- to pretend like I'm on some, uh, like uh, what uh I guess, Monday night football and, and try to make it seem like it's all gumdrops and lollipops with the guy and he's definitely changed. Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. I'm on the outside looking in. I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend to know. But what I do know is how it's gone down before. And it has not been pretty for him. So hopefully he can turn that perception around and we'll see. Maybe this whole thing with him is a mental health issue, and I do not want to make light of that. So that's a whole different thing that's that's bigger than football. But it it is just troubling to me that you bring that in when when things are going really well for the Bucks, and you bring this in. And this was obviously something that Tom Brady pounded the table for. And if he's wrong, boy, does that hurt their chances to to be able to do something in the NFC there. When you look around the the NFC standings, they they were right in the thick of it. They're contending with the Saints, which I thought they would and i thought that the bucks would get better as the season progressed but right now they're in second place because of that big l that they just took we talked about the nfc north it's just the packers in in our opinion the nfc west is the seahawks and then like three teams that that could be good could not be good could get hot so that's a very interesting to watch and then there's the nfc east and there's nothing there like this is set up to where if the bucks can make a run they can be a very high seed and right now they are killing themselves and and we, I know, Kyle, me and you are big fans of the Bucks' defense. I'm a big Todd Bowles guy, so on and so forth. But they also got carved up, too. And this happens with more frequency lately. And it concerns me because I think teams are starting to figure out. Like, Jamel Dean was one of your, like, players of the week and whatnot. But we've seen in recent weeks and against the New York Giants that teams understand that this guy is an aggressive downhill corner We can bait his eyes, and we can get him coming downfield. We want to force him to flip his hips, where I think he's a little bit more uncomfortable. So it just seems like are the Bucks being figured out as a whole, or is am I making too much out of nothing? In your opinion,
1: well, I think your offense sets you set your offense back when you add a receiver in the middle of the season. So as the teams was starting to gel, they're throwing a curveball, and all of a sudden now they have to kind of start over. But on, on defense, we've seen. So many coverage busts over the last few weeks. And as you mentioned, they're targeting Jamel Dean with these double moves and these, you know, in breaking routes that are, that require some sort of double stem or whatnot. But it's not just Dean. It's like Sean Murphy Bunning, their slot corner. He's Mm -hmm. been getting beaten as well. Um, I think Carlton Davis is still playing really well, but they're just finding ways to kind of get around this pass rush and get outside of the numbers. And Bowles has not found a way to, um, just adapt to that yet so uh, I I, it's been two games so I don't want to you know just put a nail in them and say that they're done but we haven't really seen anything showing that they've made an adjustment because as a cornerback, you you probably want to coach your guys you know have that aggressive mentality you don't want them to play passive and play soft so as soon as that happens uh man it it, it's gonna be it can be tough so yeah I think we should just wait you know another week or so to see if this keeps up but if it does, man, I'd, I'd be very worried because as with the Bears, I mean, they, you, we've seen how quickly things can change for an NFL team.
0: And I know the Bucks' corners are really good at playing top down, right? Playing off coverage and then come attacking. But sometimes, you know, team, teams are kind of exposing that. We see that a lot in Philadelphia with Jim Schwartz. He likes to play a lot of off coverage. And you can get, you know, death by a thousand cuts and they can just carve you up with quick release stuff. And the Bucs have yet to adjust to that. And be, before the Giants game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense had the best run fits uh, for for the life of a half a season that i can remember seeing like everybody did their job and then you get to the Giants game you get to the saints game and it's like what is this team i'm not used to this team just having such terrible sloppy run fits so there's a lot to figure out for the bucks both on offense and defense i didn't want to take that much time on them but like it's they're they're a big time team that could be a big time seed and they're kind of falling apart in front of our eyes and having these weird games they're a very volatile team that that it's hard to Really figure out who they are right now. So let's see if they get hot in the second half of the season. We're gonna get hot in the second half of this episode because we're gonna get, we're gonna get to uh, Kyle's defensive MVPs from three levels of the field. That's coming up next here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast. And we are back here on the Palpably Unfair Podcast, Episode Ten. The SB Nation NFL Show is bringing it to you. I am Michael Kiss. I am here with Kyle Posey. So we did our top three uh, quarterback performances of the week. We talked about some bucks in depth. We talked about some AB. Let's talk about some defense. Let's, let's go with Kyle's three defensive MVPs from every level of the field. So we go defensive line, linebacker, then we go defensive backs. Let's start in the trenches where games are won and lost who you got on the defensive line for performance of the Week 9 slate.
1: And we're going to stick in that Tampa Bay-New Orleans game. And you know a defensive coordinator likes a guy when he moves him around to get favorable matchups. That's what Dennis Allen did with Trey Hendrickson. On the first third down of the game, Hendrickson is in a two-point stance lined up over the left guard, and he won with a chop arm over move. And that was just kind of a segue of what was going to happen for the rest of the game. On the next series, Hendrickson dropped into coverage, so that's more of his versatility. But he's on this list because of what he can do going forward, not backward. I love his hand usage. Like he was just winning in all different types of ways. He had a rush where he slapped the left tackle's hands down, forced Brady off the spot, and that would cause an errant throw that almost resulted in an interception. He beat worse, the right tackle on the right side. He was being the left tackle. He was being the left guard. He was winning all over the place. Uh, Hendrickson finished the game. He was credited with seven pressures, two sacks, had a quarterback hit, three stops on the, on the evening, and I think his versatility allows the Saints to do a lot on defense, especially with them getting Marcus Davenport back. So I'm going with Hendrickson.
0: So when you look at uh, PFF's pass rush productivity metric for the season and this kind of calculates, you know, pressures and and hits and then it gives it, it basically like it's a frequency. It's not a volume stat. It's a frequency stat. But, you know, if you if you filter it out to just say, OK, I want to just see guys that are playing 50 percent of the, the, the snaps here. Number one is T.J. Watt, right? His pass rush productivity is 11.1%. That's amazing. Number two is Joey Bosa. So a lot of the usual names. Number three is Romero Aquara from from Detroit. I'm sure I butchered that name. And tied with him is your guy, Trey Hendrickson. So he definitely does deserve some love. He is balling. He is a, he, we talked about the Shrine Game. He was a Shrine Game guy that, that really showed out during that process and uh, got himself. A, a, when was he drafted? Th- was he was third he round, a, I third pick 103 yeah wow. so i mean it's finally starting to come together for the guy that's what you want from the third round guy coming coming out you know what was it 2018 2017 yeah so he's finally started to uh, to show out and develop let's go to your second level guy who you got for the linebackers
1: yeah all, all season we've talked about these athletic the new hybrid type linebackers I'm going with a guy that is not in the same vein as those guys. So it is refreshing to see a linebacker when he does his job. And that's what A.J. Klein did of the Bills against Seattle on Sunday. Uh, the The Seahawks love that little slide route where they fake the run one way and they bring a receiver behind the line of scrimmage as they run in another direction. And over and over, Klein just didn't fall for that. He always did what he was supposed to do. And as I mentioned, he's not blessed with the same physical gifts as a modern day linebacker. But and you saw you saw that on a couple of plays when he tried to undercut a block. He was just not fast enough to get there. But Klein's athleticism did not prevent him from making plays. And that's what stood out to me. He had a big run stop on third and one. He had another blitz where he forced Russ to scramble, got him off his spot. He just he just found ways to be a nuisance all game. And that's what I really appreciated from Klein. Uh, there was one play against Seattle where he was on the 10 yard line, came from the top of the numbers on one side all the way to the middle of the field to make a tackle. So he was just playing his butt off um, snap every snap, you know, showing all kind of hustle. He found himself on the wrong end of a, route, a wheel route against Tyler Lockett on one play, but he was running stride for stride with him, was in phase and, you know, broke the pass up, quote unquote, even though Russ kind of hit him in the helmet there. But he had another blitz, you know, where he's just making making plays. He took on a blocker, forced a strip sack, and that kind of turned the game around. So I just like the way that he was active in all phases of the game, and that's always a top linebacker for
0: me. Yeah, he got some love from Pete Sweeney on Monday, Football Monday, and it was certainly deserved. And as we go to the third level, I'm seeing your guy here. And, man, am I loving this tandem because they are playing, playing like the best tandem in the NFL right now. Uh, your guy's a Baltimore Ravens cornerback, but it's honestly hard week to week to figure out which one you would have picked. Who is it this week?
1: Yeah, big Marcus Peters guy here, man, for whatever reason. (laughs) I mean, I I understand why, because people think, you know, they see a bad tackler, they see Marcus Peters making a business decision, and then they think that he's a bad (laughs) cornerback. And that's why the Internet thinks he's bad. But, man, he's just such a good player. On the second play of the game, actually, against the Colts, he's one-on-one in the open field with Jonathan Taylor and tackles him. But – Play me- and I think the biggest issue is people don't understand playmaking goes well beyond just interceptions. There was a play along the sideline where Peters had Taylor and he stripped him. Ravens run that play back for a touchdown and he just... Another part of his coverage, I don't think Peters gets enough credit for his route recognition and just film study in general. The Colts run a ton of crossers, whether that's shallow or intermediate. And knowing the Ravens are going to run a bunch of men because they blitz every play, uh, the Colts tried to pick off Peters a couple of times, and they just didn't have any luck. Uh, he's one of the handful of cornerbacks in the NFL that I feel is comfortable and confident enough to play both inside and out. There was a play in the slot where he kind of undercut an out route on, in the slot there. On a few occasions, the Ravens were in zone. Uh, Peters tried to bait rivers into an interception. He's just smart and he's playing fast. I really like that. I really like to see that part of him. He took away an RPO on one play. Peters ended up allowing 20 yards in coverage on four targets. Uh, He had an interception, quote unquote, air quotes, because I'm not sure he finished the catch. I'm not going to argue that. I I love it. I just like the way that he played on Sunday. He deserves to be the best defensive back of the week.
0: Yeah, on on the on the year, he's got three interceptions. We'll we'll count that one. Uh, He's also top twenty in different metrics like you know passer rating when targeted, yards per snap, you know, uh, snapping coverage allowed. And and when you look at the other side, I'm kind of mentioned you know this tandem that Baltimore has. Jimmy Smith is only giving up 0.35 yards per coverage snap. That is first in the NFL. That's better than Jalen Ramsey. That's better than Jair Alexander from the Packers. It's better than Desmond King, who we talked about in the trade, who made a big play for the Titans in that one. Uh, Jimmy Smith also only giving up a 61.2 passer rating uh, when targeted, which is which is wild. That's also uh top five, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And you know, when you, when you mention these guys, these, these duos, I actually think like there's Baltimore, you got Marcus Peters, you got Jimmy Smith, Los Angeles with, I know you're a big Jalen Ramsey guy and I don't have to sell you on that, but Darius Williams, the other cornerback, shows up. On a lot of these top metrics, and I noticed that because I was watching the I was watching the Rams, and I was like, "Yo, this other cornerback is really good and really fun too." Like, that's a really good duo. Do any other duo stand out to you, or have you seen Darius Williams? Like, I think I think the kid's balling out a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, he's playing very well, and I think we should give credit to the Rams' defensive coordinator. His mind's slipping my name, or his name is slipping my mind right now. I think I really like Baltimore's, obviously, that we talked about uh, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith. Marlon Humphrey, just that trio is is dirty. Mm. I didn't mention
0: yeah. brother, how did I even mention Marlon Humphrey,
1: brother. How did he mention Marlon Humphrey? How Yeah, I, I how would take Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean because they're yeah. playing at a very high level. I would definitely lean the Ravens just because having those three cornerbacks allow them to be just uber aggressive on defense
0: brandon staley that's the defensive Ah. coordinator for the rams and you're forgiven for not knowing who he is i had no idea uh and one of the headlines is sean mcmay makes bold bet on hiring unproven brandon staley so hey i love him i mean when you
1: he uses jalen ramsey as like almost as Jalen Ramsey was being used in college where he was like that star quote-unquote player where he's playing in the middle of the field hang defender. And that teams aren't going to target Ramsey, so why leave him on an island? Give him involved, get him inside. And he's made so many plays against like the run, screen, underneath throws. That doesn't really get enough credit. But, I mean, Staley's just showing some of his genius there.
0: And you gotta you got to fill the shoes of Wade Phillips, who I don't know about you, but I love Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator. So that's Dad. great a uh, great job on him. Shout out, Wade, son of bum, at son of bum. Come on the show. Come please, talk with us. Please. Everybody go at him. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. All right, Kyle, that is going to do it for the Palpably Unfair podcast. Anything for the gentle listeners before we get out of there? You want to you threaten them like I did with a Christmas card to leave some <laughs> uh, Apple podcast reviews?
1: Yeah, just leave us some reviews on Apple, and then Kiss will send you your favorite Thanksgiving side in the mail. Very healthy.
0: So that's going to do it. Probably on Fair Podcast, episode 10 by the SB Nation NFL show. I've been Michael Kiss. That's been Kyle Posey. Go dominate. Have yourselves a day.